Hey, you. Yeah, you, the one listening to this podcast right now. I'm guessing you tune into Docs Outside the Box because taking control of your career is really important to you. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts that are ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. They've also got exclusive access to hundreds of positions nationwide. So whether you're looking to dive deeper into your specialty work or let's keep it real, you're trying to find a healthier work-life balance, it's important to start the conversation with them right now. Contact them at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. On today's episode, we have Mary Kay Moreau. Um, she is Senior Recruiter with Provider Solutions and Development. They are uh, the sponsor that we have been rocking with for the past two years. And today we're going to talk about looking for a job, but specifically looking for a job in a very competitive market, um, which I have no idea about that whatsoever because when I do locums or when I look for a job, I'm in the middle of central PA. It's not, it's not very competitive at all. I'm talking about looking for a job in New York, San Francisco, um, or maybe even in a specialty that's really competitive in a certain area. How do you stand out and how do you not negotiate your way out of a really great possibility or a possible job? So, Mary Kay, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? Fabulous. Happy to be here. Um, Dr. Nee, I, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm almost 25 years into my career um, having worked um, adjacent to a professional medical staff um, in a variety of different roles, whether it be recruitment, medical education, um, the medical staff services, and clinical operations and running practices. So um, I've spent a lifetime uh, being good friends and talking to um, providers and physicians about their job search, their, you know, their ranking list of what matters to them in a position. Um, I've had the luxury of recruiting in exceptionally rural northern locations, um, and I've also had the luxury of recruiting for world-class organizations um, and highly competitive geographic locations, you know, LA and Orange County, California, and things like that over the years. And there are a lot of different variables that really need to go into um, forming your ideas about where you want to do your search, how you want to conduct it, and what you're looking for um, in that search. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I think that um, well, hold know, on. so be, be, so be, so when when someone is looking for a job, right? Um, specifically, they are looking. Let's say they're looking in a city, and they want to determine how competitive that area is. Um, I think that's probably one of the last things that people think about. They just say, "Hey, I want to be in this area because I'm attracted to this area." Um, you, it looks like you're about to break it down for us, but how does someone? What are the things that someone needs to look at to determine, you know, where they fit in that range? Right. If you have a, a very specific area you want to be in, so you're looking at the Philadelphia market and that's um, exactly where you need to be because of family or that's where you want to live or your spouse's job or whatever. Um, my number one tip to all recruits is um, start talking to in-house physician recruiters. There are two types of recruiters uh, out there. There are agency recruiters and there are in-house. Um, and in-house are employed by the health system and by the hospital. Uh, they're typically salaried, salaried provider or employees who have, um, you know, just your best interest at, at stake. They're not motivated by commissions of placing you in just a specific job that they're going to get paid a commission on. Um, and they often are a lot broader and 
um, easier to talk to about your full range of your best interest. And so by talking to, you know, recruiters in hospital settings, um, they can tell you a lot about what the market really entails, um, you know, and what is reasonable to ask for and what's not. And we, we're very often, um, very, very, um, good confidants to, to share questions with or ask, uh, different kinds of variables. You know, is, is a reason, is it reasonable to ask for a three day work week? Um, you know, is, is this salary? Um, a competitive kind of salary for this market. Um, it, you know, is loan repayment assistance, um, something that is typically offered in this market? And so that's a great resource to start with. Um, when you're working with agency recruiters, um, you know, they are oftentimes, um, trying to sell you on the job that they have on their board in a market instead of telling you about all of the range of opportunities. Not to say that there aren't great people working for agencies and there really are. Um, but their motivations are just a little bit different than a typical in-house recruiter. Um, and I also would recommend reaching out to the hospitals directly yourself rather than going through an agency um, because most agencies charge a fee, $25,000 to $40,000 for a placement fee. If the hospital doesn't have to pay that to an agency, that's more that they can put into your package for salary, reload, sign-on bonus, or things like that. Um, I'm, I'm glad so you clarified you, that because that amount is so just everybody who's listening, that amount is not what you have to pay as um, a candidate. That's the fee that a hospital is paying an agency or an external company to help find doctors to come work at their job. Right. Which is a hefty And so hefty if you amount. can reach out to those hospitals specifically, um, if they've got two candidates, they're considering strongly for a position. The one that comes from the agency is is substantially more expensive than the person who reached reached out um, directly to the hospital and doesn't have those kinds of fees associated with it. And so if you really know where you want to be, even if you don't know where you want to be, you know, looking at the job boards and doing some of the legwork yourself um, and reaching out to different markets and different in-house recruiters will really help inform your job search, um, but will also make you a more competitive candidate um, and make your package better in the end. You know, the reality so I, think, is- I think a lot of people think that when they go into a market that um, the number one thing they think about is, well, I know that if I go to New York or if I go to Miami, like the salary is going to be lower um, in general. And I think that they think that there's not there's always like there's going to be the ceiling that is entailed for salary. Um, what are some things that you encourage people to kind of focus on more so in competitive markets than in other markets? Like is, I know you mentioned loan repayback, loan forgiveness and so forth. It doesn't make more sense to focus on that maybe, or um, focus on like the really smaller details as opposed to like the big ticket items, like a salary or days off like that. Well, well, I think it depends. I think we almost need to take one step back um, because different candidates, they have a different set of priorities and particularly if you're a new grad coming out of school and you've got substantial student loans and you're really motivated to get those paid off quickly, um, that may be a bigger driver in your job, job search than would be salary or location or other things. Um, and so if you are in those circumstances where you really have tons of, of you know, student loans, um, looking at more northern, more rural locations, typically you'll find that the the more challenging of an area it is to place physicians into, the more creative they're going to be with their contracting or the inverse of the more desirable a location is LA, New York, 
Florida, you know, the less competitive they have to be in their offers because they do have tons of applicants. Um, you know, so if you're really, really motivated for those kinds of loan repayment um, options and assistance, I think you'll find more creative options, um, you know, in a little bit less desirable market. If you're really, really um, set on, you know, LA or New York and you need the loan repayment, I would suggest directing your search to a federally qualified health center. Those are organizations that are scattered all over the country, typically serving underserved populations. Um, I talk to, to physicians who work in federally qualified health centers all the time. Um, there is um, completely different tempo to practice in those kinds of organizations because these are patients who don't necessarily have access to health care or, or easy access to health care. Um, they tend to be sicker, but they also tend to be so absolutely appreciative um, and grateful for the care that is provided to them. Um, and FQHCs have access to federal student loan repayment programs um, that can be up to $50,000 a year in forgiveness for your loans. Um, and if you had to earn that much income after taxes um, to pay $50,000 a year, that would be roughly $100,000 worth of salary you'd have to earn. So an FQHC is the kind of organization that can really help you pay down loans if that's a huge hot button item for you. Here's a tip when looking for your next job. Understand your strengths and weaknesses. For example, if you've been practicing for a while and you know you have a problem with closing charts, then it's important that you find a place that's gonna help you have administrative help, right? So there are plenty of options when it comes to your career in medicine. But just like every patient is different, every physician has their own personal definition of success. And that's where our sponsor steps in. Provider Solutions and Development doesn't bring just one answer for all. They are recruitment experts focusing on who you are before helping you find what you're meant to be. So whatever you're ready for next, they'll help you find it with no quotas, no commissions to get in the way. So even if you're looking for a more collegial feel at work or just, heck, a more healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So reach out today at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box. Hey guys, if you guys are wondering what a FQHC is, I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Um, but I found a really good website that shows that a FQ, FQHC um, is providing basically care for people who don't have insurance. Um, there is like federal funding funding that this uh, this center will receive. Um, but a lot of times there's things like comprehensive services that they provide, such as dental services, preventative health, me- mental health, sus- substance abuse, um, transportation services are sometimes needed to get these folks there. There's hospital as well as specialty care there. And just so you know, because we were talking about Los Angeles. So I just typed in FQHC in Los Angeles, and there are tons of places. I believe there's there's a consortium of well over 50 different federally qualified health centers, most of which have multiple locations scattered across just Los Angeles County. There's one at Crenshaw Community Health Center. There's so many. There's Central City. So there's a lot. So there's I I agree with you. I think I think because, you know, for example, like me, I've been in the Midwest or I've been in Pennsylvania. So when I see a FQHC, there's like one and then there's one that's not for like 50 miles or 100 miles. But, um, you know, 
in major cities, there's FQHCs just popping up in all these different urban centers. Yeah, New York City has New York City Health and Hospitals, which is the largest federally qualified health center in the country. Um, that's an FQHC? Have, that's an FQHC. What? Yep. Okay, keep yep. going, please, keep going. Um, yeah, and that, that serves entirely an underserved population. I have never recruited for them, but my company um, has worked with uh, New York City Health and Hospitals for years. Um, I believe that they are working with well over a million uninsured um, residents of the greater New York City five boroughs. Um, they have hospitals, they have, you know, health centers, they have community clinics, they had COVID clinics. Um, it's an incredible organization with incredible mission. Um, and it's, it's, you know, got access to these types of programs. Um, you'll find compensation sometimes at an FQHC isn't quite as high as you might find with a private employer, but sometimes it can be as competitive, if not more. Um, so they're really worth taking a look at. They're very different types of organizations than a traditional hospital-employed yeah. position, yeah. Um, certainly. Um, but Definitely uh, mission-based. Really, really very mission-based. Much mission- <laughs> mission- yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So, that, you know, those kinds of variables of what you need to think about as you're, you're structuring your job search. I mean, if you're just really, really looking for a specific geography, um, again, that desirability of the location is just fundamental. And, um, you know, if you're looking for a primary care position in Los Angeles County, um, it's harder to find a location that will give you a three or four day work week um, than it is if you go someplace a bit more rural. Um, you know, they have such a plethora of applicants um, in, say, greater L.A. or, or in Florida or even Manhattan um, that they don't need to compromise. Um and be quite as flexible with applicants in many instances. Um, and what, what, so, what makes what makes an area competitive outside of just I know that this is a popular place to be. What makes an area competitive? Um, it's the amenities. I mean, you know, weather okay. is a huge factor. You know, um, um, and just the lifestyle. And so there are places that are just you know highly desirable because they are great urban centers. People you know are flocking to them. Um, Manhattan. Um, years and years ago, I was working in a rural northern uh, New England hospital, and we were building a hospitalist program. And we were recruiting from residency programs all over New England, New York, and North. And it was interesting when I was comparing what our offerings were in terms of work expectations, vacation packages, you know, loan repayment, salary, and all of those variables compared to positions that were being offered in Manhattan. We were paying almost 25% more. Um, and that was the first time I'd really ever encountered such a disparis- disparity. Um, and it was because, you know, Manhattan was such a desirable place to be. Um, but the reality is, is the salary that was being paid back then, 20 years ago, um, you couldn't have lived in Manhattan on what they were paying physicians to be hospitalists there at that time. You know, this is and New so York or Cali? It, that was New York. Yeah, right in Manhattan. Yeah, okay. Um, and you know, if you go out of Manhattan and you go out to, you know, the Bronx or Brooklyn or Queens or even Staten Island, you'll find salaries a little bit higher. Even the cost of living is a little bit lower. So you would think that cost of know, living Mary and Kay. salary would, go, know, would go up together, but they don't always go up Have together. Have you seen so. the prices in Brooklyn nowadays and the prices in Queens? Oh my goodness. It's crazy. Well, You're talking about $4,000 a month now there. Yeah, well, and the prices in Manhattan may have gone down. I, you know, so many of us are being able to work remotely now. Um, we don't have to be in urban cent- centers um, to go to an office. And so, you know, I've heard 
certainly that there's tons of real estate that's been freed up in places like New York City um, and pro- probably, you know, rents have dropped and, and all of that. But um, this is kind of the amalgamation of what it is I think I know from about 25 years of doing this. So we're talking in general, um, what's on the table is obviously salaries on the table, um, loan repayback possibly may be on the table. Um, you also recruit specifically for urgent cares also. Um, and urgent cares are popping up all over the place, right? Um, what's it like when you are recruiting for an urgent care? Like if someone is interested in working there, what kind of things should they be expected to, like when they're having a conversation with you and they're saying, I'm interested in working in an urgent care. How's that conversation go? Like 30,000 top view. What are the things that you talk about? You know, we look at background. I mean, um, hard to go into an urgent care setting if you're an internist because they see all age groups. Um, you know, a background in primary care or emergency medicine is ideal. Um, you know, urgent oh, care is a completely so inter- different. Internist, so if you're an internist, you cannot see, you have to be able to see pedi- uh, pediatrics. Right. And if you're in a big uh, enough okay. urgent care setting, it, it could be that you have other coworkers that can do the pediatrics piece. It's not to say that internists can't get hired in, but it needs to be probably a bigger, you know, urgent care practice um, to be able to do that work. Um, you know, urgent care is kind of its own different, um, unique specialty, emergency medicine um, and urgent care. Um, their shift-based kind of work, there's a lot more flexibility um, with those kinds of specialties where you could work one or two shifts a week, um, you know, 12-hour shifts and do a regular part-time kind of gig. So if you're really looking for that work-life balance and, you know, maximizing your income is not your driver, um, you know, ambulatory care is a great place to look for work um, to be able to do that because they have more flexibility. They're just filling their shifts throughout the week. When you start talking about orthopedic surgery and, you know, um, cardiothoracic surgery and primary care, um, those roles, they need people there Monday through Friday or, or four days a week. And so there isn't that necessarily always that same flexibility and that work-life balance and the scheduling pieces. You can certainly ask for what's possible with all of that. Um, but again, you know, in a really competitive market, they don't necessarily have are they don't have to be as motivated to do a four day work week, and so they may not offer that. You can ask for it, but but don't be surprised if they say no. And if that's really absolutely a deal breaker for you, you know, start looking a little north of LA. Start looking a little east of yeah east of LA if that's what you're looking for. Um, you know, because if you go to a little bit smaller community, you're going to find more flexibility very often. Okay. Now with the urgent centers, are you, um, when you're recruiting, are you recruiting for like the large chains? Cause you know, there's the chains and then there's the smaller, um, uh, urgent cares. Who, who do you oftentimes find yourself recruiting more for? Is the large? I'm ones? personally recruiting for Providence, um, St. Joseph's health, which has got urgent care and ambulatory care seven centers across five States presently. So I'm doing all of those facilities across all of those States in the past, I've done emergency medicine, urgent care, and walking care kinds of positions for different employers um, for very small facilities. So it's it's been pretty varied. And because you mentioned cardiothoracic and orthopedic surgeons, like can they can they work at? Is there a place for them specifically at urgent cares? Will they be doing their specific practice, or they need to know like, hey, you're going to be doing primary care? There, a cardiothoracic surgeon um, doesn't have a role for urgent care because they're not seeing <laughs> that most, you know, right. that, that highest acuity level. 
um, you know, cardiothoracic is responding to the emergency department for, you know, absolute emergencies and interventions. Um, you might look to hospitals, though, to see if they have intensivist programs, you know, uh, traumatologist programs where you're on call for emergency care in a hospital, not seeing a regular office-based practice and scheduling patients for surgeries, but dealing with just the emergency care. There are also laborist positions out there where you work for a facility and you do a shift, you know, delivering baby after baby after baby in really, um, you know, urban areas where there's a high intensity of deliveries at a facility. Um, so there are all kinds of IST programs, not just hospitalists, um, that you can find, you know, surgicalists very often, you know, are there to deal with, you know, appendix and gallbladders. Yeah, and, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like you know, I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that because it's like when I'm on, I'm on. And then when I'm off, it's somebody else's uh, patient. And there's this like... Um, there's a contract, not like a written contract, but there's a contract that when you come on, you are taking on your partners or whoever you're taking over is uh, patient. They're yours. You're going to treat them like they're yours. And then you go from there. And I think that that is what allows the shift based system to work. So I could come home and be with my kids and take them to school, knowing that someone that I did an appendectomy on the day before is going to be in really good hands. It just that's just how it oh, works. Oh, yeah. It's and, your generation yeah. that absolutely ruined the uh, former model of, of healthcare. Because it used to be you were a primary care provider or you were a general OBGYN and you did your office practice, you did your hospitals round, you did your on-calls, you worked your 80 hours a week. And you, um, but your generation came along and said, nah, we're not doing that no more. Um, and I don't so, know, Mary Kay, if you can blame my generation. I think it's more of the gen millennials. I think it's the millennials and then we as gen, because I'm the last of the gen Xers. I'm 1978, um, so I'm the last, last, last gen X and I can definitely remember just still being in that i need to know my place and i'm not gonna lie if it wasn't for the millennials i wouldn't be working like this you're right well that, I that generation you, has changed well, again. you look like a millennial to me so that's why i was Thank blaming you. your generation um yes um i am a gen <laughs> xer and so i have seen i've worked with you know as you know right through all of those different generations in my career but the the whole creation of the ist movement when it started with hospitalist and then it's gone to the other specialties um, is really driven by these these younger providers who are like, I'm going to have a work-life balance. I'm going to know my children. I'm going to attend their events. Um, I am I am not going to kill myself like, you know, my parents' generation did. Um, I can remember I had a family practitioner that I worked with for years and his I watched his kids grow up. Um, and when his son was, oh, 13, I think, um, you know, he he father was talking to him one day. He said, so you're still planning on going to medical school and being a family practitioner like I am? And he says, oh, hell no, dad. Um, he <laughs> says, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to know my kids. Um, and the yeah, father relayed that story to me. And he was just like, you know, unbelievable um, that, you know, this is, um, this is where people are coming from. And so, you know, that ist movement um, coming into hospitals of people who are unwilling to spend every third night on call doing a, you know, the office practice, doing their two OR days or whatever it is, um, they're just not willing to put in that same overwhelming, life-consuming kind of effort um, to be a physician at this point in time or a provider. 
Um, and so that's I, where I raise, a lot of that raise, is coming from. For the folks who are listening, they don't, they, they can't see that I'm raising my hand. Sign me up because I, I definitely uh, do not think that it has to be the way, the old way in which you describe it and stuff. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people from the outside will be like, oh, well, you know, it used to be better in the old days. It's like, well, you're not the person who's dealing with all of this stress for 24 hours and making those decisions at hour 24 that you have to make at hour 16 or have to make at hour five, right? Like it's just, it's a very different dichotomy where I think the public oftentimes looks at us almost like we're robots and it's like yeah it just it can't work that way and the system has to change so in many regards i'm really happy um that it's changed but i think we have a ways to go but before we go all the way down that tangent because you know me i can get fired up on that (laughs) i could go down that 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 tangent and me and you can go back down that tangent is great um so we 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 covered the loan forgiveness we covered um how to determine if a market is competitive obviously i think the other things to look at is how good the school district is um what the housing prices are in that neighborhood um and what are the other type of hospitals that are there also i think all of that stuff kind of can help you determine you know the the level of competitive you know how competitive uh, a certain market can be and what you can and get can get away with and so forth but you know oftentimes i agree with you i think the most important thing is finding out what's your big what are your deal breakers um, and really learn that sometimes, you know, if you want to be in an urban market or if you want to be in a competitive market, um, that there's going to have to be some give and take. Um, there's going to be a, a situation where maybe, you know, look, you know, if you want to be in Orange County, like you said, you might have to take less salary, but also at the same time you wake up in front of a beach every day. Hey, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I agree with you. There. Anything else? Um, that would help uh, in this situation? Any other questions, anything else that you could say, hmm, that's one thing I want to say to to the people who are listening. When when to start your job search is is also probably a bit of a variable that surprises people. Um, And again, you know, those more desirable locations, if you are sending out a resume a year in advance of when you're ready to start practice, you're probably not going to get a lot of callbacks in, Mm -hmm. you know, Orange County. Um, because they have people who can start in three or four months that are applying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's not to say don't keep applying, but don't be surprised and don't feel rejected when you don't hear necessarily a lot of response. You know, if you're a urologist looking for a position in L.A., um, you probably aren't going to get a lot of callbacks and a lot of interest into your about six months before your start date. And, you know, um, you know, if you're a urologist who's willing to talk to, you know, a place in Maine, a place in Wisconsin um, or Montana, they'd probably hire you, sign a contract two years before your graduation even. Um, you know, so queen. you're going to get different reactions from different parts of the country to that application process um, as well. Um, and again, places like New York and L.A., start your license uh, process early have your license in hand when you're starting your search, if you possibly can, or note on your CV that, you know, license process started on, you know, in this month and time frame so that they know you're almost to have accomplished it because, you know, some states that is a lengthy, arduous, time-consuming process. And, you know, an employer will want to know that you have accomplished that benchmark already and are ready to go or close to ready to go um, when they're going to be talking to you. Boom. There it is. Mary Kay with Provider Solutions and Development Senior Recruiter. Listen, guys, um, you know, it's not all about just, you know, realizing that salary and all these different things. When you're in a competitive market, you just got to It's a give and take. So if someone wants to continue the conversation with you and talk about some of the things that we talked about here, how do they get in contact with you? Um, they can reach me at Mary Kay.Morrow at PSD, or PSDRecruit.org. 
Um, they can look up PSD and see all of the jobs with our facility. I do want to put in one other plug for my company because we do something that is really unique and different. Um, we're a larger recruitment company under a health system. Um, and we have created a whole division that is our residency outreach program. And we have dedicated employed staff who are helping um, first, second, third year um, residents or fellows think about their job search, educating them about contracting language and details in the search. Um, they've got tools and resources and even um, different lectures that we're doing at all times um, to help people, um, particularly during that phase, because, you know, medical school and residency is great at teaching you to be a doctor, but it's not necessarily very good at teaching you how to find a job and what mistakes you could make in finding that job and the contracting and all of that. Um, so we've got a whole series of resources that are available to residency programs across the country, um, not just Providence resources. Um, it's a service we're providing to our own residents, and we decided to extend it out um, to individuals and residency programs across the country because it's such valuable content. Um, and so if anybody is interested in learning more about those resources, particularly for, for newer physicians, um, happy to put you in touch with our residency out, outreach team as well. Hey guys, all of those things that she mentioned, those links are in the show notes. Mary Kay, thank you again for coming on Docs Outside the Box. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks, Dr. Nay. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.